0: Hello and welcome back to Popcorn Politics. Today we're talking about the film Network. My name is Dermot Burke, and I'm joined by an angry prophet denouncing the hypocrisies of our times. It's Jack Redmond. Say hi, Jack.
1: Hi, Dermot. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Are you? Are you mad as hell, Dermot?
0: Um, it's not great. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm not feeling great, Jack. Uh We are filming this or recording this, I should say. Still in the middle of a pandemic, mostly I'm just I'm kind of sad and kind of just want want to go see my friends and hang out. But instead, I'm talking about
1: yeah, you can't do that.
0: No, instead I can't do that. So
1: I will I will just say that Dermot is we're recording this over Zoom and Dermot is recording this uh, under his blanket.
0: Yeah, for the second week in a row, I have constructed a pillow fort for myself and I am I'm living it up under here. I don't think I'll ever leave. To be honest with you, this is incredibly. Looks cozy. I feel safe. I feel secure. I feel the way uh, that I've always wanted to feel. And that's really, really great. Jack, we're going to talk about network today.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. You had never seen this movie before.
0: No, this was your choice.
1: Yeah. And when when did you get the chance to to see it? I watched it it today.
0: Yeah, I watched it um, probably, yeah, earlier today. And I'm still moving myself through it emotionally. But I really, really, really enjoyed it.
1: It's, um. you mentioned this in just it, before we started recording, you know, a lot of the movies that we watch are kind of, they're looking back at certain points in history or certain recent points in history or certain topics or whatever else. And some movies look forward and this very much look forward.
0: Do you want to give maybe a quick breakdown of what this film was about?
1: So the movie follows Howard Beale, who's a, a newsman in the 1970s in New York. He's a kind of Wal- Walter Cronkite kind of figure. This is back in the days of pre-cable news, pre twenty-four hour news cycle sort of thing on TV. Um, so, uh, Bill, he every, every night, every night during the week, he goes up, he presents the news, and um, his ratings are declining. So, his ratings are declining. The network isn't happy with him, and they've given him two weeks' notice. And we join him at the end of a night out, uh, where he's with his friend, who is. Max, I think. Is that his name?
0: Yeah. Max, who is uh, the head of news at this f- fictitious company that they the work UBC for. The
1: UBC or UPC or whatever it's called. Um, but yeah, so they're both reminiscing about old times and um, Beale is getting ready to, to quit and because his wife has just passed away as well, he's not in the most mentally stable moods and he declares that he's going to kill himself. And initially, Max just thinks this is drunk talk but the following evening, on the news, Beale announces that he's going to kill himself in a week, a week from then. Live on air. Live on air. And things kind of escalate from there. He winds up having a mental breakdown live on the television. And he just starts calling bullshit when he sees it. And people, the audience takes to this really, really well. He becomes really, really popular. He becomes the mad prophet of the airwaves. And... We follow network executives as they essentially try to exploit this new phenomenon for ratings, for advertising space and to make money. And um, yeah, that, that that's basically the, the, the plot of the movie.
0: Yeah. And like we said, we had a chat about this before we started recording. And it has a real forward-looking mindset. And it's interesting, you know, we both came at this from, I think, a different point of view when we thought of that, because you were pointing out to me that the ratings are so similar to everything chasing likes in the social media age. And I was just looking at maybe the ideology that gets thrown around and this this populism without direction that can get so easily hijacked and turned into something very, very different.
1: Yes, yeah, so this, this movie was written by a man called Paddy Chayefsky. Now, unusually enough, in a movie, the writer actually got the final say on the the final cut of the film. So he was the the person who led it. He had, you know, in some ways more say than the director. And almost everything that you see in the movie is in the script, is in Chayefsky's screenplay. And Chayefsky, he uh he kind of made a name for himself initially in TV, in during America's Gold Major TV, back in the nineteen fifties, he was he was a writer for a number of different dramas and whatever else that were going on in the nineteen fifties. And he over time, got more and more disillusioned with television and the whole culture and everything that happened in and around TV and TV studios. And eventually he wrote this movie, his his, his, his magnum opus, I guess, and it is a complete criticism of everything to do with television and, by this stage in time, uh, just the media in general, because the media world has basically continued on from this film. It, it's uh, kind of It's clearly supposed to be a. This is clearly supposed to be a worst case scenario for how a TV network could turn out, where they just commodify the news and they just commodify public opinion as some sort of a spectacle. Things have gone on from that, and most people, I'm sure, would argue that it's significantly worse than Chayevsky's fears. And we we see this gradually progress as the film goes on.
0: Yeah, and it took me like a little while, and this is kind of sad. It took me a little while. To get that they were satirizing that because in my mind chasing ratings and commodifying news is just what the news does
1: yeah for, for, for us watching it today it's like, oh yeah no that, that that all seems reasonable you know these executives talking about ratings and wanting to just get as many eyeballs on the screens as possible that seems like a very reasonable thing to do, but then you have to think about it and what they're talking about is just a complete disassociation from the real world experience and life. And we get that in the relationship between Max and Diane.
0: I think we also then see that in the way in which the network tries to take his message of, you know, everything is, is messed up, and they turn it into essentially a traveling preacher show. They give him sidekicks, including a clairvoyant. They put a live studio audience to applaud and to shout his catchphrase. It's so... On the nose, but it feels depressingly plausible.
1: One thing about his catchphrase, uh, "I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore." The one and only change from the movie, uh, or from the script to the movie, is when he's initially giving that speech. When he's you know in his uh, pajamas on TV, you know soaked from being out in the rain. The actor, whose name I can't remember, he actually managed to include an "as." So I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. That is the one and only change from the script, which is a the, cool the fact that I wanted to add in.
0: That's really interesting. So Peter Finch played Howard Finch, Beale yeah. and he actually, tragically, he actually died.
1: Eight months after the movie was yeah. was finished.
0: Yeah, and he won the first ever posthumous Oscar Oscar uh, for his performance as Howard Beale. Posthumous. Posthumous. Uh, post-humorous
1: so Oscar is... Uh,
0: That's funny. Okay, I'm going to do the he also won the first posthumous Oscar for his performance as Howard Beale.
1: Yeah, you pronounce posthumous well.
0: Sure. Um, <laughs> I've only ever seen it written down. So I think throughout this whole thing, it's very clear that Beale is not mentally well. And it adds that extra layer of how much he is being essentially abused by these people and having everything dragged out of him as much as possible.
1: Oh yeah, Beale himself, he... he... When when they redo up his show and they kind of embrace his nature as being the 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 mad prophet, he keeps ranting. His show basically revolves around him ranting and raving and proselytizing until he passes out, until he makes himself unconscious from doing it. And he does this every night of the week, Monday through Friday. It's clear
0: gets cheers for knocking himself yeah, out. Like that's, that's the that's sort of the high point of the exactly. show, and then they presumably cut to all the other various different characters that they've shoved on. Whoever it is. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrendously eerie. As the film goes on, we see him less and less outside of the show and he becomes unrecognizable from the person we saw at the start. He just becomes this mad preacher, this sort of William Jennings Bryan style evangelist and populist railing against the problems of the day. But we were talking about this earlier. You point out, He's his his energy is all over the place. It's against everything that's wrong, and to, there's a there's a very good reason why there would be an appetite for this. The 1970s was in many ways America's first post-war like down year or down decade, I should say. You know, you had the oil crisis, you had the out the fallout from Watergate, you had Vietnam, you had attempted presidential assassinations, you had all the stuff that was taking the gleam away from America. People were going hungry. People were not being able to fill their car with gas. You know, you have all these issues. And then this guy is like, hey, you know what? You're mad. I'm mad. Let's admit we're mad, and not pretend like everything's fine. And so there's like, it's very understandable why he gets big. But of course, because everyone is angry at so many different directions and against all, so many of these things they can't control, he... He doesn't really have a real outlet. You can watch him. You can watch the Suitsare. You can watch the Vox Populi. But y- compared to, you know, we might talk about later, the, the Communist Party or the kind of revolutionaries who we meet, he doesn't have a real prescription other than get mad and watch my show.
1: Yeah, this this is something that I think is one of the best things about the, uh, about the movie is that, he does all of this. He he creates a genuine social movement, and pe- millions of people all around the United States watch him every single night. You know, al- almost religiously, and the religious overtones are very very clear on that. Um, but he achieves nothing. He he does nothing. He goes like you know various different rants throughout the movie. He keeps talking about how things are as bad as they've ever been. You know, I'm mad as hell. I can't take it anymore. You know, whatever else. And he tells people that, I'm not going to tell you, he, he, he tells his audience that he won't tell them to, to write to their congressman. He won't tell them to do anything because he doesn't know how to fix these problems. He just knows that people should get angry. And by the end of the movie, he achieves nothing. He does absolutely nothing throughout the movie. And the one time he comes close to actually achieving something tangible was when he does create a letter writing campaign. He manages to get, I think, six million in the space in the space of a day. He gets his audience to send in six million letters to the White House to stop a business deal going through that would amalgamate his network with a different company. Kind of the the nameless Arabs is what they're referred to as, you know, throughout the movie are are buying up the uh, the television station or, or at least the parent company for the network. Um, he stops that deal from going for, going through, but I think that's the only actual tangible impact he has in the world around him. Everything that he does, all the proselytizing, all the televised evangelism, everything like that, it just, it's a waste.
0: And that letter writing campaign also goes nowhere for reasons that happen later in the film. Yeah, you're right. And it's really, part of it's sad because you can tell that this guy really wants to affect change. He has no ideology and he's within the realm of television, which is Po- non-ideological, you know. There was a point made by when Diana Christensen is talking to the communists about setting up this Mao Zedong Variety Hour. She's talking about this, sh- creating the show that is meant to be following these revolutionaries and kind of talking about what they're showing, what they do, and showing the chaos they're creating. And she says, I don't give a damn about the political content of the show. This is a show about revolutionaries. This is a show about people who want to overthrow the US government and replace it with some form of communism. And she doesn't really care about that. All she cares about is the ratings. And now he is within that framework. So he can't do anything because his ideology can't exist almost within the bounds of TV. He says it himself, this tube is the most awesome goddamn force. And he says awesome as in to cause awe, not as in it's totally radical in the whole godless world. And woe is us if it ever falls into the hands of the wrong people. But of course, there's no falling into the hands of the wrong people. It is in the hands of the wrong people. Or at least from his point of view, if he wants to use television to create change, it is in the hands of the wrong people.
1: One one thing that I just want to talk about before we move on too far is the, the actual letter-writing campaign. Um, mm. I don't know. Have you ever been involved in any of those letter-writing campaigns?
0: I have been... Have I been involved? Not any that I can remember. I've definitely been involved in, like... I've definitely been involved in, like, tweet storms and, like, trying to get, like, hashtags trending. Or even
1: email campaigns or anything like that.
0: Yes. I, well, I have, I have been involved in the promotion of them, as it were. Yes. Yeah. So... I haven't been really involved in, like, the actual organization
1: of them. Okay. Have you ever received any?
0: Yeah. Um. There were definitely times where, like, the inbox of one of the groups I worked for was sort of part of a list of ones that were in targeted. Yeah. And so we'd have a couple of days, it would be filled up. But, like, and you probably know a lot more about this than I would.
1: You know, whenever any of these email campaigns or letter writing campaigns or whatever else, whenever they happen, they the letters are almost never read by... The authority figure they're almost always read by some staff member and if it is let's say a couple hundred emails or a couple hundred letters going into the one person all they can really do is draft a mass response maybe maybe you get the person to sign off on it and then yeah you respond back just acknowledging okay.
0: it by the way exactly the same with any tweet campaigns like if you're like oh man i'm gonna we're all gonna tweet at this political party or this political figure The person who's seeing that is a staff member and depending on how involved that politician is with their social media, depending on how engaged they are with, even honestly, depending on what their relationship is with that staff member, you actually don't know if your message is going to go beyond an email that goes to nowhere.
1: The staff members will draft a response and if it's something that the person in question can do anything about, they might do something. But generally speaking, it's going to be acknowledged that that's kind of what happens. It's I, I don't know if they work well.
0: Now, look, obviously, I've never dealt with six million. I feel like if there was six million, that might that might get my attention. But I'm just talking about like general these general campaigns. Yeah, I think they're they're a little less effective.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think if you get six million, yeah, you're going to have an impact. But if you're getting a few thousand,
0: that being said, and I know. We might, I might be completely undercutting my own argument and our own argument here. There's a difference between getting something electronic and getting something like like a letter. Like a letter is like, you know, you get a few thousand letters, you've got to store them somewhere.
1: Yeah, well, the, yeah, you're going to have to keep them on file. But, but what I mean by this is that like a lot of these letter campaigns um, that I would have ever gotten in, they would have been like a mass, like just insert your name here and we yeah. will send off thousands of emails to the relevant people insert your name and address here and whatever and you know that will be the extent of the campaign that will be the extent of your involvement in it. if you take the time to write a letter yourself or if you take the time to write an email yourself that's personalized to you and is not the same text as however many other people campaigning in that is a different thing entirely
0: i i, I wouldn't even say the email i think you just gotta write the letter dear and jack taking a moment out of the tongue of the film to just give you some Handy political advice.
1: Just handy campaigning advice. Don't sign up to a mass email campaign. Do it yourself.
0: Yeah. So, it's, uh, you like the movie, Jack.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I just, I just, I went in a bit, of a bit of a tangent there on that one.
0: Also, a lot of the times, these mass emails are, and I'm just being honest, a lot of the people who send them are cranks. That's not saying that you are a crank, but it's much more cranks, like people on the fringes of politics. And if it's obvious it's from a crank, I'm gonna go. Well, I'm not gonna read this because it's just wasting my time.
1: Or if you have a bit of downtime, you'll read them just for the crack, just 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 to enjoy it.
0: Oh, absolutely. If it's a like, if I'm having a good time reading your email, then maybe maybe something. Of, actually, no, because if I'm having a fun time reading your email, then it's probably not a very good email.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have to be a good email. I mean, if you, if you're
0: we're again, let's I'm gonna let's nip this in the bud right now. <laughs> let's let's because we'll spend another forty minutes on this. Network, great movie.
1: It's a great movie. And one of the great things about it, one of the things that I love about it, is the fact that it, none of the characters achieve anything that they set out to. None. Uh, I would disagree with that. Well, no, no. I think most of them don't don't achieve what they set out to. Diana, she does. She gets the ratings. She advances her career. She gets to be put in charge of the news division. And uh, Jensen, the guy in charge of the parent company,
0: also, uh, Frank Hackett as well, who's sort of esse- who's essentially Faye Dunaway's boss. He also... Does he, though? Do? I mean, he gets the ratings. That's what he wants.
1: He gets the ratings, but he, does, he, he gets the ratings in, like, he seems to disagree with every single action that's taken around him. But I think
0: he is more of a... And we see these a lot in the world. He is someone who will disagree with everything, but if the right result comes out of it, he will take full credit. Oh, yeah. And that's the sense you get where, you know, he's he's celebrating when the ratings are good, even though he's been trying to cut Beale out as much as possible.
1: He goes from one success to another, and one you know huge boom to another. And then as soon as there's a single speed bump, or as soon as there's a single thing goes wrong, he gets into a big, huge depression. Yeah, interesting character.
0: But yeah, I would agree with you that sort of the two heroes of the film, so Howard Beale and Max Schumacher, the ones who are kind of Definitely not objectively good people, because Max Schumacher, we can definitely say, is not a good guy. No, no. But sort of the characters we meet at the start of the film and are kind of given that sense that we're...
1: Protagonists of
0: the movie. Yeah, they are sort of the protagonists. Well, them, I would say them and Diana are the protagonists of the film, but the two who we are given the sense that these guys are good guys early on, they achieve nothing, except sorrow. But unlike some other films, I would compare this to when we watched the final year and we talked about none of these people achieved anything but the point of that film was these people are trying to achieve something whereas this film when they come away they haven't achieved anything that's actually proving the film's point.
1: Yeah. that's Them not doing anything is probably the best outcome of what's going on.
0: Um, Beale maybe not.
1: But Beale doesn't know what he wants to do. He just wants to get angry and rant and write. That's all he seems to want. He really should be given mental help and like th- that should be the first thing that happens to him at the beginning of the movie, and it doesn't happen. But it just shows the executives will exploit someone's mental unhealth or someone's you know someone going through a hard time for their own profit for their own benefit. And it's not like we've never ever seen something like that before or since.
0: Exactly, it's very prophetic. We we've looked at you know reality TV shows and what you know we've seen this sort of thing happen before. And um, what his show is is essentially. Is a reality TV show. It's it's consume activism while watching this person go on rants and raves.
1: Yeah, he's he's an entertaining guy. He manages to summarise what's going on in the world without really informing very well. But he gives he gives commentary on the, the business deal that's going on that that will buy up the, the the corporate network. He, he gives a little little bits of information on it by telling his audience that they should be just purely angry over it and they need to they need to do they need to desperately stop it, but without going into much detail as to why that is the case. He makes allusions to things, but doesn't actually could make any connections.
0: It was interesting when we were talking about this earlier. You referenced the likes of The Daily Show and Last Week Tonight and these kind of shows and how this film almost feels like it's setting up a precursor to that kind of film. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Well, I want to I be clear. I think I think it, it just sets up um, a lot of the way we consume, particularly news media these days, in any format and from any political ideology, where it's mostly it's mostly a form of entertainment, and it is very personality focused. So I think you see that quite clearly in uh, a lot of these American late night comedy programs, where they're very much personality based. It's kind of it's it's an easy way to consume media, but you can also see the same thing in a lot of more traditional cable news channels in the States as well, where things are kind of, it's less about the news that's being portrayed, and it's more about how it is being portrayed or conveyed.
0: Yeah, the thing that I, when I was talking to you, the thing that really jumped out to me was Bill O'Reilly on his TV show, The O'Reilly Factor, he referred to it as the no spin zone. You know, this is where you're getting the real stuff. This is where you're getting the truth uncut, and you know, away from the meddling. And that is essentially what Beale's show was being pitched as. It's the no bullshit show.
1: Yeah, or the no PC zone, or whatever.
0: Yeah. Well, he just—I don't. I think this is sort of before political correctness. It's before, it's
1: before the concept of political correctness the way we know it today. But you can kind of tell that if this show was set today he would be very anti-PC, because he talks about, oh, no, I'm cutting through all the bullshit, and life is bullshit, and everyone finds it kind of entertaining, and his lack of politeness refreshing.
0: Yeah, and people have often said, with the likes of The Daily Show, and Last Week Tonight and Samantha B, you know, what have these actually achieved? Now, to be fair, to Last Week Tonight, they've actually achieved some stuff, um, including the largest giveaway in American TV show history when they cancelled like $20 million worth of medical debt. But, you know, that is sort of a critique of these shows is, is that they are a lot of performative activism. Like you're watching Late Night with Seth Myers and he's going on this big monologue about why Trump is terrible. Everything he's saying is resonating with the viewer if you're a Democrat. And everything is pumping them up. But it's not actually activism. It's not actually changing anyone's minds it's just speaking to the person who's already upset that Trump is president and I used to every now and again watch the O'Reilly factor uh, during the Obama years just mostly out of like pure interest and it has because he's say what you want about him he's a great performer but it's exact same sort of feeling to it where you watch this guy just explain to people why the president is terrible and we don't like him and there you go but didn't have an actual solution other than vote Republican in the midterms, vote Republican when the presidential election comes along.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's an element of people, uh, I've experienced this emotion myself, you know, people in in a crowd just want to hear someone in a seeming position of authority, someone on a news show or something like that, just say, oh, look at those clowns over there. Look at that shower in the the doll and doll Aaron or look at those, whatever you'd call them in Westminster or in, uh, in Washington, D.C. or anything like that. Um, you just kind of want someone to vocalize opinions that you have yourself. Yeah, you
0: you want your pain to be felt, you know. And that is sort of what Beale does, is that he he vocalizes the pain and anger and confusion that so many of these Americans feel because of the numerous crises they've gone through. And they feel no one else is going to just speak out about it. But like we said, vocalizing pain without action is not It might be therapeutic, but it's not exactly transformational.
1: No, and I think uh, you know when you spoke about the certain successes of something like uh, last week tonight, where they have actually they have achieved things like canceling millions of dollars of medical debt and all that kind of stuff. A lot of that is down to the format of these things as well. So last week tonight is a weekly show; it doesn't have a huge amount of airtime, so they can really focus in and you know find the exact information that they need to convey to people who can then take take action that would have an impact on what they're speaking about. Someone like Howard Beale is on television every night of the week, Monday through Friday, until he collapses from exhaustion. He's not going to have a huge amount of time to prepare or to figure out exactly how to fix whatever problems are going on.
0: Well, he doesn't appear to be preparing. He appears to just sort of show up and here he is.
1: He is either in the movie. He, is either, he either has a direct line to God or is losing his mind
0: equally possible.
1: Yes. Can we talk a bit about my favourite character in the movie? Jensen. He's in it for like two scenes, I think. You barely see him, but he has just one of the best speeches in any movie. Jensen
0: is like, oh, he's he's basically, he's the big boss.
1: He's like Uh. the Jack Donaghy in 30 Rock. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's a pretty good explanation.
1: He is the boss of the company that owns the TV network.
0: He gives this big speech that is even though it's in 1976, it is the ultimate distillation of Reaganism, I feel, where he kind of basically, he sells Beale on a new ideology. That, you know, we no longer live in a world of nations and ideologies. The world is a business, Mr. Beale. It has been since man crawled out of the slime.
1: There are no empires anymore. All we have is IBM and AT&T and Exxon and us. It's, it's, it's brilliant.
0: Yeah, and then he's like, He's detailing like his vision for the world. He's like one vast ecumenical holding company in which all men will hold a share of stock. All necessities provided. All anxieties tranquilized. And all boredom like, amused. Oh, boredom amused. Yes, of course. The most important part of it all. You know, you have this incredible speech that really, 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 really sells a quite a bleak outlook. At basically, that. Everyone is a cog in the machine, completely replaceable. But because he meets Beale's fanaticism, and when I say fanaticism, I mean sort of that evangelical style and that evangelical mind that Beale has, he meets that with an even more powerful fervor. He converts Beale wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah. And Beale starts to proselytize this very grim idea of what to be human is, which leads to a drop in the ratings, unfortunately.
1: After you listen to that speech the first time, I think it can actually be kind of convincing. It is a convincing argument. You know, uh, this is the new way of the world. It, it, it's, uh, it's going to end all hunger and need and, you know, almost close Pandora's box kind of thing. But then, uh, yeah, when Beale actually starts changing his gospel, when he actually starts preaching this new ideology, people hate it. But I think you touched on something really good there because you, 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 you spoke about how Jensen out proselytizes Beale, where, um, when they're being introduced, Beale is entering into the company headquarters and he's screaming and he's ranting and he's raving and he's led up to meet, uh, to meet Jensen and Jensen introduces himself by saying, well, I start off in sales and they say I can sell pretty much anything. So I've got some ideas I'd like to run by you. And he, brings him into the boardroom, the headquarters of all this this business, this capitalist enterprise, and uh, he welcomes him in and says, Come on in, Mr Beale. Valhalla and sits him down at one end of the table and then just goes on into this random this not random, but this rant and this tirade about how good this system of business is that dominates the global economy and life on this planet. You know, when he talks about how all life on this planet is uh uh, it, it's dominated by dollars and petrol dollars and electro dollars and rubles and shekels and pounds.
0: Yeah, he really, really sells this idea. And he he brings Beale along that democracy is a dying giant, a sick, sick, dying, decaying political concept, writhing in its own pain. You know, this idea that Beale, I think, still the proselytizer, takes this message, not of, not of hope which is a, which is how it's being sold to him by Jensen. Jensen has this this message that well actually everything will will be solved by this new coalition of powers. But Beo sells this actually it's it's um it's almost like the incel ideology that that you are ultimately powerless. It's black pill. It's lie down and rot.
1: That is a very very good way of putting it. Yeah, it 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 is yeah it's embrace the bleakness of reality
0: yeah that you are a cog in a machine and that's the only way Beale can make his message fit in with that that we're angry because we're ultimately powerless and we're ultimately powerless and that's sad yeah if we embrace how meaningless our lives are you know you don't become Rick from Rick and Morty kids you just become a sad man watching his raiding slowly plummet as he considers himself essentially worthless in the uh, in the eyes of the world.
1: I do like, though, that this speech is kind of, in some ways, it's almost a precursor to Gordon Gecko's greed is good speech uh, mm. from a movie 10 years later. You know, um, Wall Street, a movie about how bad this culture is, this toxic culture of raiders, Wall Street raiders, or stock raiders, or whatever they're called. And uh, this speech which talks about how good greed is, gets uh you know it's such a convincing argument it's such a convincing speech from the, from someone who is essentially the villain of the piece that it actually people run with it in real life and take it on board and convince themselves that the guy's right. this uh movie kind of anticipates the movie Wall Street by ten years.
0: That is a really really good point. it's a powerful speech it has a very clear message. We should also mention, it's not just that the speech is great, but the way in which they light the room, the way in which they frame the cameras you know, underneath him, you really, really get the sense that someone like Beagle, who is not very well, would be so quickly shifted this. Because as well as everything else, it's an answer. And Beale has a lot of rage and a lot of energy, but he doesn't actually have an answer. He doesn't have a, as Marxists would say, a materialistic view of the world. He doesn't have a he doesn't have any dialectics he just has on um, rage there's no there's no ideology behind it there's no there's no way of explaining why the world is the way it is
1: there's no hope in this message there's, there's no vision for the future it's all just about tearing things down
0: and that's fine when you're tapping into people's rage but people don't want people feel depressed and they don't want to feel depressed yeah you know it's not it's not i can't feel like there's a call to action to sit and kind of look at my feet.
1: Yeah. I, I do love, though, um, at the end of the speech when Jensen is just... And unlike any, or unlike almost all, I should say, of Beale's speeches, Jensen gives him a command, an actual action at the end of it. He tells Beale that you have to go out there and preach my message. And uh, Beale says, why? Why me? Well, because you're on television, dummy. And talks about how many ratings he's getting, what his share of the the viewership is. And, you know, Beale thinks that he's looking at God and Jensen says, yeah, you might be right, which is just great. Someone who's in that position, someone who is, we don't know his title, but he's the CEO of some huge conglomerate multinational corporation. He's going to think very highly of himself. But uh, another thing that I, I thought was really interesting is that Beale is not getting Jensen's attention. Like he, Beal is almost ignored by people with real power until his letter writing campaign goes in and it actually stops things from happening materially in the real world and then the next morning he's called into the headquarters into the head office and he's not long for the world after that
0: this little adventure going on is fine and as long as it doesn't actually cause any problems and it's, it a again there's a very sort of grim message to this where if you want to achieve change and no one is you know, and you seem to be getting along great and you're not facing any adversity, there's a reason for that. Yeah. It's because you are not seen as a threat.
1: I think we we've kind of skirted around these characters for, for, for long enough. I think we better talk about the uh the communists in the movie. What what's the name of your organization? Do you do you have that in front of you? They're the
0: So there's sort of two bodies. There's the Communist Party, they are the um the electoral force, sort of the the electoral, I believe they're meant to be electoral, um, but they're the kind of the the quote-unquote respectable wing. And I mean that in, in that respectability might be something they would be attacked for, for you're trying to be a respectable. But then there, there's the terrorist group called the Ecumenical Liberation Army. And they are going to be the subject of a docudrama called Mao Zedong Hour, which is going to follow up. That's so ridiculous. Which is going to follow up uh, Beale's show. yeah, And basically they use the Communist Party as a way into these guys. They originally make their name because they have kidnapped an heiress of one of the important wealthy families and she has uh, turned heel and or turned face, depending on your uh, worldview, and joined them and joined their crusade. And a video, they have been filming themselves going after banks. And a copy of one of those videos ends up in Diana Christensen's hands and she's like, cool, this is TV gold. And as she said, she doesn't really care about the ideology. She's just looking at this and going, this is something we can definitely use. And so she reaches out to the Communist Party who say we have nothing to do with them. And she goes, okay, well, here's my offer. The woman from the Communist Party then goes to the terrorists and says, hey, we might actually have a deal here. And then later we see this incredibly bizarre world of these militant communists Freedom fighters, terrorists, whatever you want to call them, negotiating with these suited bank executives, and the executives basically having to deal with leftist infighting <laughs> in real time, but over a contract negotiation for a TV show.
1: It's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. It shows how quickly. I mean, obviously, it's it's a satire, but it shows how quickly a lot of these left-wing organizations they kind of fall apart and start the infighting starts, and they call each other fascists and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it also, from the left, leftist perspective, it shows that the, like, just the overwhelming corrupting influence of money in this kind of, a, this, this kind of a setting. You know, as soon as you start engaging with a massive multinational media corporation, uh, they're, they're just going to use everything to exploit it, even communism, even a political ideology that is diametrically opposed, fundamentally opposed to this media corporation's existence. They their spreading of that communist ideology will only further their own ends and further their own profits.
0: And it's amazing to watch the contrast between this, again, William Jennings Bryan style, evangelical populism with no... Although, to be fair to William Jennings Bryan, he was really into the free coinage of silver. You can't even say that about Beale. He has no opinion on the gold standard from what I can see. That is a joke for maybe like two of our listeners, if even...
1: Two of our you four, know, listeners.
0: two of our four listeners, um, one of whom is me.
1: When when you go back to edit this later on, you need to do something to just keep yourself engaged. Is it
0: pretty much? Um, but so, but he has no answer. He has no vision. It's just pure rage. The communists have a worldview. They have an answer. She brings it up many times, like that they do have this ideology, and it doesn't matter if you're on the. Angry no ideology, or the very clear, thought out, genuine beliefs of your own ideology, doesn't matter what side you fall on, you will be consumed by this conglomerate, by this media empire. And that's definitely, I think, a really good way of talking. If you want to talk about these things, I think it's a really good way of talking about it, of showing the different ways in which you can resist and really hammering how, in this film's view, these ideologies are worthless
1: I, I don't think the world is quite as bleak as this movie makes it out to be um a lot a lot of the things that happen in the movie have come to pass I, I will say that I mean it, it, it you said it earlier on the beginning of the podcast it's very very prophetic uh, but at the same time the world isn't quite as as black and white as this you know it, it isn't uh filled with uh, executives who are as evil as the ones in this movie um I, I think it is good though to talk a little bit about how Howard Beale what happens to him in the end. Do you want to go into that a little bit?
0: So, here's the thing, guys. Spoiler alert from the film from the mid-70s.
1: Yeah.
0: At the end of the <laughs> film, our hero-ish, Howard Beale, is, and I'm laughing when I'm saying it, he is assassinated, he is killed on live TV, just as the show was starting, by...
1: Okay, no, we we, we should go into the reasons why he's assassinated, though.
0: No, 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 I'm about to say that. He is killed on live TV by the leader of the Ecumenical Liberation Army for ratings, essentially. He is killed because his ratings are getting low, so they need a way to get rid of him, but they also need a way to get some buzz around this new Mao Zedong hour. So the only way, I mean, it's sort of killing two birds at one stone, What if we get the terrorists to shoot him on live TV, to murder him, make sure they get away, allow them to get away, then suddenly... I mean, man, I gotta tune in for the next episode. Exactly, I gotta tune in for the next show. Yeah, like,
1: and they can't, they can't fire Beale because uh, Jensen has taken a personal like and interest in the show. So they're there in a board meeting or they're there in a, in a team meeting trying to come up with ways of getting around the situation, and they just say, "All right, guess we're gonna have to kill him," and then they just yeah go into okay, all right, yeah, that makes sense. We'll have to kill him,
0: and it's very well done, I think, where someone just goes. We have to kill them and there's sort of there's a moment where you can tell a couple of them are kind of hesitant about it but it's it's perfectly logicked out you know it's pointed out so it's it's proposed by Dana Christensen and it is pointed out that she is television incarnate she is indifferent to suffering she's insensitive to joy all she cares about is the story yes and so it makes total sense she go well you know the the appropriate narrative thing to happen here especially from writing's point of view is that we kill him. Yeah, and it's the, it's described by the narrator at the end as the first instance of a man who was killed because of lousy ratings. Yeah, and yeah, that's it's. So first up, it's very funny. It's a really funny, smart way to end the film. But secondly, I think it says a lot about how disposable so many of these people are, and how this this industry will chew people up and spit them out. Now, obviously, not literally kill them. We assume, but. It will destroy these people and it doesn't care, again, it doesn't care about ideology, it doesn't care about politics, it doesn't care about these things. His numbers are down. They think that these guys' numbers can be up and they certainly think their numbers can be up if they can murder a man on the TV. In fact, at the end of the film, a second season is greenlit after his, uh, after his shooting, I believe.
1: Anyway. You know, from their perspective, you're only as good as your last week. You know, he he explains to Jensen that um, the television industry is very volatile, and that you know you need to keep your numbers up. If they, if Beale's numbers keep going down, eventually it'll spiral and get out of control, and they'll never be able to go back up again. It'll be a permanent loss. So it's only as good as your last kind of your last thing. I, I love the uh, the decision making scene as well, where they're all discussing the actual assassination of Yiel, and a couple of people. They, they, they all, or at least most of them anyway, seemed hesitant to want to kill the guy, but never for any moral reason. One of them said, oh, I hope you don't keep any uh, any recording devices in your office, to which your man, he just didn't answer the question, just moved straight on. And uh, the other kind of president of the network guy, I can't remember his name, but he uh, he says, listen, this is murder. We're talking about a capital crime here. We have to make sure that the network is not involved. <laughs> You know, like he says something to that effect. I can't remember exactly what he says.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that is what he says.
1: It's it's just it's never about we're taking a man's life. You know, Um, it's it's all just about the legality of it. Um, Yeah.
0: Or not even the legality, like the
1: distancing, protecting the organization.
0: Yeah, protecting the organization exactly.
1: Protecting the company. Yeah, it's
0: so funny.
1: Uh, I do think though that the uh, like it, it really reeks of things like reality TV and influencers as well. I think like modern influencer culture, like it really speaks to that, but maybe on a different scale. You know, when you think of uh, I think Jake Paul or Logan Paul or one of them going through that suicide forest in Japan.
0: That was Logan Paul. That was the older brother.
1: Oh right, okay. Lo- Logan Paul going through the the suicide forests in japan uh you know things like that it it just really reminded me of you know that sort of stuff
0: yeah i think it's it's a perfect end to this film it's funny i I, we're probably getting close to final thoughts time this is obviously a podcast about political movies and for the first half i felt yeah there's kind of political elements to it but i wasn't really getting that that real kind of clear political message but the second half really really ramps that up yeah i think What's great is that it sows so many seeds and then it reaps them perfectly. Just as we're kind of wrapping things up, what do you think this film is trying to say? What do you think its ultimate message is?
1: I think the message of this movie is that TV is bad. And extrapolating that into today, into 2021, is that the media is generally bad. So TV, the internet, all that kind of stuff. I think that it really talks about it, it, it talks about that it doesn't matter what your message is. It's going to be corrupted by the actual institution of the media itself. You just really need to make sure that you're able to see through the bullshit.
0: I think this film is not trying to propose an alternative. I think it's just trying to hold a mirror up to how grim the situation is. I think this film isn't really trying to convey any kind of political message I in in so much that I think that it's mostly is focused on talking about what bad stuff's going on. You know, oh, this isn't great, this isn't great, this isn't great. And ultimately, it's about the power of a corporation to to twist everyone it wants to its will, whether it's the communists, whether it's the evangelical populists, whether it's, whether it's just the, the people who are working their day-to-day. You know, I think so many of those guys that we are seeing in the final moments of the film deciding to kill Beale maybe with the exception of a couple of them, I don't think they would make that decision Yeah. if it not have been for the fact that they've been twisted by this world where only ratings matter. I, and I, I think the film has sort of a less of a plague-in-all-your-houses attitude toward these things and more of a if you get into this business, if you get into this industry, you're going to see a lot of locusts in your bathroom.
1: On that, sorry to, to cut across you there, but on that, um, the, the writer of the movie, Chevsky. Uh, if that's, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of that name. He clearly hated the, the, the culture in the television industry. Um, you can kind of see this in the character of Max, uh, cause I think Max is almost written as a stand in for the writer himself, at least in, to some extent. Uh, when he talks about, you know, when he's there trying to write his novel and, you know, the early days of the TV industry and no one cares about it and, you know, he keeps saying that sort of, that sort of thing. But apparently, Paddy he would stay on the set of this movie. To make sure everything was you know, everything was accurate and the characters and the actors were all behaving the way someone in the TV industry would. And apparently the director originally, when Beale is going in to make his, uh, his breakdown speech. So he had passed out earlier on that day. He woke up in Max's apartment in his pyjamas and it's raining. There's a terrible thunderstorm going on in New York. And he puts on his coat in his pyjamas, obviously in his pyjamas. He walks out into the rain, he gets a taxi and he goes into the studio. Soaking wet in his pajamas, and originally in the movie, uh, the director had the security guard say hi, Mister Beale, and you know stop him from going into the studio. It would be some sort of a you know, "Are you okay?" kind of moment. But then Chayesky got rid of that and said it's TV. No one would have given him a second look. Uh, he clearly hated the industry, and uh, that really comes out in the movie. It's a good
0: movie. I, I think for any. So i i bought I bought or I rented it. Amazon Prime Uh, I could wholeheartedly endorse checking this film out it's a good watch I think you need to be maybe I don't think you even unlike some of the other films we watch need to be in the right mood I think you'll get something out of it Um, I would absolutely endorse watching it I get the feeling Jack would as well
1: yeah I definitely would
0: I think that's it for another episode of Popcorn Politics everybody thank you very much for listening we're saying at the end of every episode please rate, subscribe, do all the various different podcasting things. We're hopefully getting better at this. I think we're getting pretty good. Oh yeah, we're, well,
1: we're, we're I can't not really. Next week though, what are we going to be watching?
0: Jack, it's my decision and after, I know I've mentioned before I've been trying to make you as upset as possible and depressed as possible, but I'm going to give you a week off. We're we're going to watch Sasha Baron Cohen's film The Dictator. Okay. It's great film. Well, it's a good film. It's got, it's got a great ending. Some of the rest of the film isn't great. It's got a really interesting political message, and I honestly i am looking forward to talking about it.
1: Okay, I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh,
0: thank you very much, everybody. You can follow me at Dermot Burke on Twitter. We will be back next week with The Dictator. Let us know what you think of The Dictator. Well, let me know what you think of The Dictator.
1: Also, let yeah. Dermot know what you thought of Network, and if we left anything out. We didn't even get into the, the relationship between diana and max uh
0: this is a this is a thick film
1: yeah we, we missed out on loads of stuff in this movie
0: maybe we'll do a part two at some point if you know well
1: yeah we, we might we may have to circle yeah. back
0: because this is a but this is a really good film and you should absolutely check it out so thank you very much everybody and we will see you next week
1: see ya